You're listening to episode 262 of the Mindfulness-Based Weight Loss Podcast with me, Lucia Holly. Welcome to the Mindfulness-Based Weight Loss Podcast, the show for women like you who have tried restrictive diet after diet and are ready for simple, thoughtful solutions to help you sustainably lose weight for the last time from a place of abundance and peace. If you're looking to end the yo-yo of comfort eating and rigid weight loss protocols and instead step into living your life mindfully on your terms while losing weight in the process, you're in the right place. Hey, 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 party, 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 people, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. Um, let me update you. I am feeling less pooky. All right. That's a win. I'm feeling really normal. So that's awesome. And I had such an amazing time last week. We had Tim and I, my husband, had our parents all meet each other for the first time. We were in Detroit and that was Coming off the tail end of Tim and I going to Milwaukee for a close friend's wedding and I got to meet her husband for the first time and he was just wonderful and it was such a sweet wedding with so much sweetness and so much love and Milwaukee is fun. I actually had never been to Milwaukee. I'd wanted to go for years, especially really living in Minneapolis for so long. So It was just great to see the city as well and to explore it with Tim. And yeah, we are back in Portland and back to recording podcasts. And listen, on today's podcast, I want to talk about the six simple steps for healthy habits. It's something that I talk about quite a bit on TikTok and I've done episodes about the habits, so they should not be new, but I know some of you find me from TikTok. And at this point, because I have so many episodes, I think it's okay that I repeat the subjects here and there because it can be helpful to just start with what intrigued you with this information in the first place. You know what I mean? So here are the six simple steps. They're straightforward. Um, They are not exclusive. That means that they have variety depending on where you're at, what your goals are, but these are just general, very general places for you to start. If you are done with diet culture and you, you know, you don't want to do prescriptive stuff. For a long time, I hesitated sharing steps because I was like, listen, like we all come to these steps once we shake off the expectations, the shoulds of diet culture. And then I realized, you know what, actually having structure can be helpful. It can be kind of like a, you know, like a lighthouse, like a like a, a beacon of like, all right, like this, if I ever get confused, I can always just bring it back to some pretty straightforward, simple habits. And they're kind of grounding. So here is habit number one, getting in steps. Anywhere from, I think 7,000 is a beautiful number to aim for. 7,000 to like 11,000. And if you've heard me talk about steps before, you probably have heard me say different numbers and that's fine. None of this is dogmatic, but I think 7,000 is a really good baseline that defaults you into being lightly active every single day. That's absolutely wonderful. It's so huge for cardiovascular health. It's great for mental health. If you are ever in a pinch and you don't know what you should be feeling, you feel emotionally out of sorts, get yourself and your booty out on a walk. It's not for the calorie burn. It's not just to get your heart rate up and to be good for cardiovascular health. It's to get you back in your body. And it's also to get you back into nature, okay? So 7,000 to 11,000 steps, really beautiful place for your general wellness. Number two, strength training. So on top of cardiovascular health, we also have 
these things called muscles and we can have muscle growth and we can be signaling in our bodies different hormonal cascades. So aside from simply the vanity of muscles and muscle growth, there are very healthful processes that happen when we are regularly engaging in resistance training. So of course you're using your muscles when you're doing things like going for a walk or picking up the kids, playing with the dog, but when you are consistently strength training, whether with dumbbells or barbells or kettlebells or body weight, when you are strength training using progressive overload, which means you're being intentional with the movements you're doing and that intentionality bleeds into the next day and the day after and the day after of your strength training workouts, you are progressively overloading your muscles, meaning you're progressively challenging yourself. The only reason I like to call out progressive overload is because it takes a lot of the fluff out of workouts. And listen, a fluffy workout is just a workout that has more cardio and more cardio happens when you're lifting weights that aren't really challenging your muscles. I could do a whole episode on what it means to challenge your muscle, but I'm just going to keep it short and sweet in this episode. For strength training, consider a plan that uses progressive overload, keep that keyword in your back pocket, and consider strength training anywhere from two to five days per week. I will say I don't think most people need to strength train five days a week. I think two to four is great. And I think three to four is primo. When you're doing strength training workouts three times a week, those three workouts, ideally all three will be full body workouts. And if you work out four days a week, then it's math wise, it's a lot easier to have a couple days be for your upper body and a couple days be for your lower body muscles. Okay whole slew of health benefits to training and also if you are looking for weight loss you're looking to shift your body composition the body composition you want comes from more muscle it really really does and in order to create that muscle we're going to move into the third simple habit which is prioritizing a balanced meal and balanced meals in your day-to-day life this doesn't mean anything more then at your meals, you're looking to get a source of protein, a source of carbohydrates, and a source of dietary fats. Bringing in vegetables and fruit to give you your fiber so that you feel good and you poop like a champion, and also for the you know micronutrients as well, and that you're eating enough food, okay? Most of us would benefit from practicing eating in caloric maintenance. Now, you can either reach out to a coach like me who can calculate your um, calories based on the information you provide and your um, you know, body metrics as well as your activity levels. Or you can go to a calorie calculator like tdeecalculator.net and type in your information and get a general calculation spewed out to you. When you are looking to just eat food and figure out how much food you should be eating, not based on how good or bad you are, I don't use shoulds very frequently at all, but how much food you should be eating based on your biometric data, just based on your body or your height, your activity levels, like very neutral, neutral, neutral things. This is really healing. You know, this is why I started to incorporate 
like letting like just being like let's just use the plethora of information we have around nutrition labels and and information on on the backs of foods and what we know about food let's just be really aware of the proteins carbs and fats and total amounts of calories in our foods let's write them down that information is neutral and it's so empowering especially when you pair it with not trying to eat the least amount of food possible now, once you're eating in your caloric maintenance and you've practiced that and it feels nice, then you don't have to do it that way. You can start off in a calorie deficit, but I do think it's really illuminating for a lot of people to just eat in caloric maintenance. You're going to feel so well-fueled. You're going to have the energy to strength train if you haven't before, if you've taken a break. You're going to have energy for it again. You're going to have energy to get those steps in. You're going to sleep better at night. It's like win, 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 win to be eating at a caloric maintenance. And then when you are ready for a caloric deficit, you're not changing the types of foods you're eating. You're eating pretty much the same thing. All you're doing is that you're slightly tweaking some portions so that you are in about a 10%, 15% reduction in total calories. So you can imagine that if your, you know, your activity levels, etc., get you to eating about let's just say 2,500 calories a day is your maintenance. Guess what? If you took 10% off of that, that's 250 calories. Okay, 250 off of 2,500 is 2,250 calories. Can you imagine how much easier it is to stick to that type of deficit than the extreme 1,200 calorie diet, 1,000 calorie diet, even 1,500 calories? That can be way too few calories depending on your activity levels and your body's needs, okay? Listen, you're, you have a body, your body needs food, and even while you're losing weight, your body still needs plenty of food, especially when you are strength training. I will get off of my soapbox in a moment, but especially, don't, I don't want you, I might need to do an episode on this too, I don't want you to believe that when you are losing body fat, that somehow that body fat is magically transmogrifying into body muscle when you are building muscle. No, you need different fuel, to build your muscle and your body fat is being lost uh, with different metabolic processes. So they're two different things that are happening. Okay. So that was number three. And I went into, you know, amounts of food, but number three is just getting in your meals and that those meals are balances of protein, carbs, and fats, including if you eat snacks, including dessert. I'm just saying at the times that you eat food, you're getting in a nice balance. Next up is water, getting at least 50 ounces of water. Of course, there might be variety for that, right? This is not ever medical information. This is just for general information purposes, but I think a lot of us do well with a baseline of 50 ounces of water. And that can shake out to a nice big glass before your first cup of coffee, a glass of water with each of your three meals, and then a glass of water when you're brushing your teeth at night doesn't have to be complicated. You don't need to be overwhelmed. And by the way, yes, you can drink water with your meals. It's not going to dilute your stomach or your, your digestive enzymes. You don't have to worry about that. You're fine. If you feel like it's like a thing to be trying to figure out when to drink water, just drink it with meals. Pair it with that habit. Drink it while you're after you've brushed your teeth. Pair it with that habit. Keep it super duper simple when it comes to drinking your water. Next up, is going to be sleep, getting at least seven hours of sleep at night. And for those of you who have young kiddos, I know that that sleep might be interrupted, but you're in a certain phase of life and that's absolutely okay. 
There's, it's, your body's very resilient. There's nothing bad that's going to happen. But in general, for those of you who haven't had awareness around your sleep habits, your sleep patterns, seven hours of sleep per night is a great place to start. Some people might want to be identifying if they have a nice transition into bedtime and bedtime routine at the end of the day. Listen, adults are just grown up children. A lot of children need support during transition times because that's, you know, difficult for them. And and the same thing applies for adults. So looking at your habits when it comes to how you get yourself ready for bedtime doesn't have to be a big production. It could be as simple as, you know, one cue or one thing that you say to yourself like, oh, it's time for bed. Like, oh, okay, you know, TV's off for the night. Whatever. Keep it so simple. Some people also might want to be looking at how they are staying asleep, okay? So, or, or falling asleep. So not only is your bedtime transition time something to be thinking about, but also do I fall asleep pretty readily? Okay, if, I, if that's covered, then if, and I'll get into something that you can do for that if you have a difficulty falling asleep, that's probably something having to do with stress management. Most people have a hard time falling asleep, unless you've done something like you drank a cup of coffee later in the afternoon, okay? You know what to do if you're doing that. You stop doing that. <laughs> and if you're drinking that coffee later in the afternoon, it's probably because you're not eating enough food earlier in the day and you're trying to get a quick pick-me-up. You know what I mean? All, like, all these habits inform one another. So um, if you're having trouble falling asleep, it's probably because there are racing thoughts in your head. So the next simple habit will help with that one. And number two, in terms of sleep, if you're having difficulty staying asleep, I would want to be looking at, are you getting in those three balanced meals? And are you starting your day with enough food? Because I do feel like I see people really, really frequently feeling like they don't sleep well, feeling like they don't have an appetite for breakfast. And you don't have to eat first thing in the morning, okay? You just get to eat when you're hungry. However, if you only feel like you're only ever hungry in the evening, that usually clues me into that you might be in a pattern of overconsumption at night and underconsumption earlier in the day. And that doesn't have to do with total caloric amount, that just has to do with cal- caloric behaviors. So if you're overconsuming at night and now your body is trying to process a big amount of food in the evening, that could be affecting blood sugar levels. It could be making some unbalanced blood sugar levels. And there's nothing wrong with that. The solution is going to the simple habit of making sure you're getting three plus balanced meals per day of proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. It gets to be that simple. I will also add, if you are ending your days with a lot of chocolate, especially dark chocolate, that does have a stimulant in it. So that doesn't seem to affect people quite as much, but I will say as myself personally, someone who's very sensitive to the theobromine in chocolate. Um, It's just something nice to have awareness of. It's not going to make or break your sleep, but I just like to throw that out there. And then for waking up with sleep, that it seems to be less of an issue for people, especially once you are taking care of the habit of getting in enough food and getting it in consistently throughout the day. You don't have to fear being hungry, okay? Like when I say, because I I have heard people say this before they're like oh no like what if you know I'm traveling and I skip a meal or like oh no like this ah like I didn't have my afternoon snack and now I'm nervous your body's super duper flexible it's not about the things that happen to happen it's about the things that you do consistently okay so with waking up also looking at wake up routine right like are you motivating yourself by stress by waking up are you hitting snooze a lot are you immediately looking at work emails 
Are you skipping breakfast? Like, how are you setting up your day? No one needs a long, lengthy um, wake-up routine unless you fancy it. It can be so, so simple. But it can really just be guarding your... This is going to sound woo-woo. But it's going to be about guarding your energy in the morning. You get to decide how your day starts. Even if you have little kiddos, okay? I know. I know the parents out there are like, Lucia, but... (laughs) You just... If if you have little kiddos, okay, you're in a household. You're in charge. You're the adult. You can still decide, even given the circumstances you're in, what type of mornings you would like to prompt. You'd like to practice (laughs) with the rest of the household. Okay, so then finally, the last simple step for healthy habits is stress and stress relief. I really encourage everyone to, at least for seven minutes a day, minimum, that you are choosing an activity to do that is for stress reduction. Don't stress yourself out about what it is. Move towards the goodness of what sounds compelling and what sounds nice. Would you like to play tug of war with your dog? Would you like to look up some TikTok videos or YouTube videos with silly animals doing silly things or people helping other people out that helps you get into a good feeling? Would you like to send a GIF or uh, an emoji to a friend of yours and that you've been thinking about? Would you like to go stand in your front yard with your feet in the grass and look at the leaves on the trees? Would you like to garden for a couple of minutes? Would you like to, I don't know, read a book, laugh, cry? All de-stressing really is, is coming into the present moment and letting your nervous system kind of shake out whatever it's been doing. Because most of us tend to either put ourselves into the past or put ourselves into the future. And we can ping pong between those two um, and they can become really habitual and we can stop habitualizing being present to the present moment. And the majority of us, especially those of us listening to this podcast, majority of us are safe in the present moment. We do have our basic needs met and we don't really need to be stressing. And so it's okay that our brains get into their little brainy stress response. They try to ping pong us and and have us be thinking a lot about the past and the future. And that's okay. You're never going to get rid of that habit completely because it's not a habit to be gotten rid of. It's naturally there. You just have a propensity to that. That's totally cool. It'd be like having a dog and say like like a retriever or something, like a dog that really likes to play fetch. And being like, no, just stop playing fetch. Why do you play fetch? It's literally part of their DNA. Nothing's gone wrong. But you just get to decide, oh, we play fetch at these times, right? And maybe we do a longer session on the weekend or whatever, but we stop demonizing that propensity. I really think it's very similar when it comes to our stress habits and our stress thoughts. Stress thoughts don't have to dictate our days. And our awareness of our stress habits and our stress thoughts normalizes them and neutralizes them doesn't mean it makes them go away but it does mean that they come up we recognize them as friendly because they're just trying to take care of us and then we move right along okay so those are the six healthy habits that most of us like most of our problems i'm just gonna go out on a limb and assume something most of our physiological problems unless you had a a diagnosed medical condition which of course this episode would not be doing anything with that and that's for you both between you and your medical professionals and team that is supporting you but for most of us most of the time making sure we're getting in steps we're sleeping well we're strength training we're drinking enough water we're eating balanced meals and we're 
in relationship with our stress and we're choosing moments to de-stress in our days, that's going to take care of most of the things. You do not need to stress out about um, perfect workouts. You do not need to stress out about days where you have lower activity. You do not need to stress out about being a perfect sleeper. You don't need to look over at what your friends are doing. You don't need to go keto. You don't need to change. Like recently I was talking with a client and she's like, I just don't know what to eat. And I was like, well, what do you normally eat? And she eats like really normal stuff. And I was like, that's what you should quote unquote be eating. The point of, you know, at least in my opinion, being a coach, the point of working together isn't to get you to eat different foods. Sure. Explore some new foods. Keep it fun. Get some variety in there, baby. But it's really just about saying like, am I eating a balance of plenty of foods that fuel me so that I can do the things I want to do in life? That's the end all with food. It gets to be that simple. Diet culture is going to tell you it's not that simple and that's okay. You don't have to fight diet culture. Did you know that? You don't have to get reactive with it. You don't have to tell people that they're in diet culture and they need to get out. You don't have to tell yourself you're in diet culture and you need to get out. I really think what's most healing is just noticing it. It's like, oh, diet culture is a collection of thoughts that a lot of people think. A lot of people take it really, really seriously and I don't have to. So (laughs) on that note, thank you so much for being here. As always, give me a reach out if you need a little support. I'm always here to help. I'm currently enrolling a couple clients for the summer. I'm not taking a bunch of clients this summer, but if you would like coaching on your nutrition and strength training, I'd love to be able to support you or at least point you in a direction that would be supportive. And I will see you on next week's episode. Bye. Hey, if you love today's show, I'd love for you to take a minute and give a rating with a review. If you too are ready for more women to make life choices from loving mindfulness, that means we need more women listening to this message so they know it's available to them and they can do it too. And if you're ready yourself, come coach with me, where we'll work together and you'll learn how to take this process to the next level in your wellness goals, life desires, and beyond. Go to luciahawley.com, that's L-U-C-I-A-H-A-W-L-E-Y.com to connect.